we'll really find out how well the mic works. I'm, I'm normally a uh, quiet speaker, and it seems like we're getting some pretty good feedback right now. At least I can hear myself, which is maybe a benefit without this other mic, and, and if I move back, it won't make any difference. Over the years, I rarely listened to um, other sermons by other people, but uh, in this past few weeks, I've had some questions and asked me to hear a sermon here or there. And it's interesting because in one of those sermons, one of the persons was criticizing us, our little group, or our speakers as to what we said or how we said something. And the problem runs is that as a human being, you know, you hear a sermon and, you know, it might trigger a word. And while you're thinking on that, the sermon keeps going on and you miss maybe a vital point. Well, in, in the one sermon that, that I listened to, the person that... Uh, received some feedback, and, uh, and the problem ran is that when you hear something, you relate it to your personality or your background, and that's what happened in this case, and so it comes down to the point that sometimes we try to answer a matter before we hear it. I find I do that too a lot of times, you know, you, uh, especially if you're talking with somebody, you uh you trigger something in your mind, and of course you want to tell your side of this thing, so you forget or basically block them out so that you can come up and say what you want to say. And and a lot of times that happens. I know in, in one case it was reported to me that uh, the sermon was great. In another case, it was bad. Same sermon. Just how you perceive that. Anyway, it's difficulty, I think, on a great part that we try to, we should try to hear what's said and not try to uh, perceive the wrong things. It's like it comes back that we are saying, and I've never said it, I don't think. I mean, I can't remember. If I did say this, and, and you know, just tell me there's a tape out there, I can hear it, or if Daryl did, that this place, Anatol Farms, is a place of safety. Well, I never heard Daryl say that. I've never heard Daryl say that Anatol Farms is a place of safety. I can remember talking to a good friend of mine many years ago. Um, he's an elder in another group. And I said, you know, for you and me, because of our age, and some of you are a little older than I am, yeah, we have a place of safety, but, you know, that could be the grave. And why do I say that? Because, you know, if you're asleep in the grave, you're not going to have to worry about going through the Great Tribulation, are you? And a lot of rough things are going to happen. So, a place of safety could be a, a, a grave. And I did a sermon on that, place of safety. I, I can think back in Worldwide, I can remember we said, well, we're all going to go to Petra. And I never gave it a lot of thought. You know, think about that, going to Petra for a place of safety. If we had 144,000 people that were going to be rushed to a place of safety, I did the math, well, the calculator did the math yesterday, it would have taken, provided an airplane could carry 425 people, 
it would take 339 planes to get these people to that area. I'll never give that a lot of thought. Think about that. So sometimes when we say, this is a place to save these people in the congregation, maybe we don't give it enough thought. We don't really think of what the scriptures have to say and, and all that. But you know, I thought back at that time, we only had 707s, and I think they only carried about 300 people. We're talking almost 500 aircraft. My daughter went to uh, uh, Orlando one year, the company she worked for, they flew 7,500 people down there, and I think it took about 15 planes, and it took a whole day to get 7,000 people to Orlando, making shuttle planes. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. We have never, that I know of, and it, you know, said that Anatol Farms is a place of safety, okay? It's a place to, to uh, think about, a place to maybe come. I remember back in the, the feast of 2001, I think of why did I come? Why did my wife and I come out here to the desert? In the feast of 2001, uh, going through the sermons, I heard one comment made. That was Micah 4.10, which said, "Go uh, Now you shall go forth out of the cities and shall dwell in the fields. I thought, hey, i got to come out of these fields. It was said that. Come out of the, out of the, out of the cities and come to the fields. And so, uh, and then Zechariah 2.4 says, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls for the multitude of men and cattle. And I thought about that too. And so at that feast, my wife and I discussed, no, I was at the feast. I just said, hey, I'm going to move out to uh, Utah to find a place out of the cities. And my wife sat back and said, oh, okay, I guess we're going to move. To... So why did I come out there? I came out here not looking for a place of safety. I don't know about you. And you, may, you need to sit down and think yourself. Analyze it in your mind. Why did I? decided to come out there to uh, Utah or Arizona as it is, is it because it's a place of safety? No. It's not a place of safety. We have Babylon around us right now. We have uh, the uh, county trying to give us a rough time. So is it a place of safety? No, this is just a place that we can come together as a group and learn how to love Christ, learn how to love God, how to work together. There's a lot of things we need to learn, a lot of things we need to grow on. First John 5.20 says, And we know that the Son of God is come and has given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. So I came out here to know God and him that is true. I came out here to learn about Christ. I'm sure you did too. Come out here to learn about Jesus Christ. And we are in him that is true. We're in Christ that is true. Even in his son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. So I came out here to learn how to change my way of life. I remember back, and I've mentioned this before, Mr. Armstrong said in the late 70s, 
we have to learn to confine our our lifestyle. You know, shrink it down. Stop being so outward, out in the out in the world, and having everything and everything that comes to you have to have more and more and more and more. There's no end to it. Mr. Armstrong said, learn to put that down. Learn to come closer to God. And so, maybe that's why I'm here. And and if we think this is a place of safety, and it's not, let's turn over to Luke, chapter 17. Because if you think that this is a place of safety, maybe this has something to that you think about, because I didn't, when I was working on this sermon, I had to stop and think a little bit about this, Luke 17, verse 33, Luke 17, verse 33, whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. Well, if I think that coming out here is going to save my life, Christ said, you're going to lose it. This is not a place of safety. If that's all you're here for, you need to rethink that, really. You really need to give that some more thought. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed. One shall be taken, the other left. Now think on that a little bit. We think this is a place of safety. And yet Christ speaking to us says, There's going to be a time two people are going to be in bed. One of those will be taken to a place of safety. One of them will not. It's possible. Husband and wife. Husband could go, wife stay. Wife could go, husband would stay. Maybe we don't think about that all the time. But we've heard sermons. Tells us to look like and act like and walk like God. Are we doing that? How many times do we let these things just kind of pass over our heads? Said so two could be together, and one of them will make it. One of them might not. Brother, a sister, husband, a wife. It doesn't guarantee, just because we're here, that we will have an opportunity, or we have the opportunity that we will be taken to a place. It depends solely on your relationship with God. It really does. A relationship that you have with the Creator. Two women shall be grinding together, and the one will be taken, the other left. So here's two people working side by side. We're in a godly community here. We're here working together, learning how to love God, serve God, so we're working hand in hand. Many of us have been out there putting up this building, putting up another building, putting up the grain bins, putting in water lines, helping somebody else. It says two people be working together. One of those might stay behind. Again, it's a relationship. It's how you stand with Christ. It's how you relate to Christ. Is your mind that same mind? Second Peter chapter two. God wants us to be a part of what He's doing. He wants us to be a part of what He's 
Yet he doesn't say, I guarantee. And yet I've heard that from other people. If you're in my group, you're going to go to the place of safety. We taught that in Worldwide. We taught that if you stayed with the church, with the Worldwide Church of God, when it came time to go to a place of safety, all 144,000 of us on anywhere from 380 to 500 aircraft, and it was all swoop up at one time. Of course, I don't know how you would land that many planes in one little airport. I don't know. It would take days and days to fly that many planes in and out of an airport, a small airport, across all these borders and stuff. And yet we all thought that we're going to go to place safety. People teach that in other organizations. All you have to be is part of my group. And sometimes when I go back and think of that first statement, answering a matter, before you know everything about it, one person called me up and said, this man says he is the guy. He is the one that God is going to use in his group. And all I could say is, if he says that, and you have to qualify those statements because too many times we judge each other on what we hear. You have to qualify that. If that's the truth, then maybe he's he's off base someplace because you really gone from that position. You take God out of the picture because we read right there in Luke that two people will be in one spot. One will go, one won't. Second Peter two verse five. And and notice this. Think about this. Because, you know, two people in one spot. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world on the ungodly. God gave Noah 120 years to preach to the people, saying, there is destruction coming. Worldwide Church of God, I've known for over 40 years we've talked about a destruction. Mr. Armstrong talked about it back in the 30s. We've talked about that ever since, even in other groups. Destruction is coming not only on this nation, but on the world. When Noah talked for 120 years, that's, that blows your mind, doesn't it? To preach 120 years, destruction is going to come, and everybody just lets it pass over their head. But what about us? We hear it. We hear the fact that it's going to happen. And then we can read Luke and it says, one will be taken, one will stay. Does that soak into our minds that we're hearing things that we need to make some changes on? Are we changing? Do you change on a daily basis? Because sometimes we think, maybe we're in this little group that we're going to make it. I don't care what group we're in. And all the churches are the churches of God. They're all have gone off track. Mr. Armstrong said, get back on track. I think we are trying to tell everybody, get back on track. That track is following Christ. But it's too easy to go the other direction, isn't it? We have this world around us. You have... Sin City, down south of us, about 
two hours, two and a half hours away, thereabouts, you know, or any place else. And so when we go to the Feast of Tabernacle, we try to set it up so we can be where we can have all the pleasure. But that's not what God's saying. He's still telling us. We're preaching worldwide destruction. Ten percent of the world's population or less will survive. Noah said, no one will survive unless you change. How many turned around? Noah. And God allowed his sons and daughter-in-laws and wife to come along. We're preaching that. Mr. Armstrong preached it. But it just seems like those things just go right over our heads. Because we don't think it says, one will go and one will stay. It's not going to be in our group. Well, I'm going to go. I'm a minister. I preach. I give sermonettes. doesn't say you're going to a place of safety, does it? It's what's in your heart. It's how well you respond to what you hear. It's how well you respond. So, no, God didn't spare the old world, did he? And he turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, we heard sermon sermonette here about Pompeii. When that mountain blew, I never realized that that destruction could come from a volcano. Yet if you go and look at that movie, Volcano, and realize when those mountains blow, there's a ash storm that comes that is so powerful that it blows buildings down, and you cannot escape it. It's traveling at 150 miles an hour. You think you can outrun that? And we were warned in the sermonette. Those tremors, are we feeling the tremors? Verbal tremors. We're hearing you have to make a change in your life. You have to change. Because two will work side by side. And one will not go. Why? Because their own self thoughts and self actions. So again, I ask the question, why are you here? Mr. Armstrong used to ask that same question. And, uh, I never really gave the thought that maybe I should have given it. But he asked the question, why are you here? Why did you come out here? You didn't come out here to save your life, I hope. Because if that's what the case is, that you came out here hoping that by being on Anacol Farms, or even out there in the, on the telephone, if you're out there and you think because I'm in this little group, well, I'm going to make it to a place of safety, you're wrong. You're not going to make it. And it doesn't make a difference where, whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, a college graduate, a dishwasher, or a person digging ditches or planting a garden. That doesn't have anything to do with it. That has nothing to do with it. Think of what what Christ uh, said there through Paul in 1 Corinthians is said that uh, he didn't call the great noble. So there's not a lot of great noble. So if we're not the great noble, we're the lower people, then we have a responsibility to make some changes, don't we? 
I would like to be a part of what God is doing. I would like to go to a place of safety. The only way that I know I can do it is if I turn my life around. The only way you can go is if you turn your life around. I read you there in Micah, or um, I mean, Micah 4.10, how it said, go to the fields. And one of the things that I heard back in Feast of Tabernacles in 2000 was, go to the field. Okay? Just going to this field wasn't a guarantee. I know that we also have preached many times, come out of Babylon. Revelation 18.4, come out of her, my people. Out of whom? The Babylonian society. Well, we are here. We are trying to come together, coming out of Babylon. But isn't Babylon all around us? Do we not have a little bit of Babylon still in our brain? Food, the clothes, the dress, you know, the makeup, the entertainment, sports. You know, a lot of us like football, a very violent game. A lot of us like hockey, even worse than that, or soccer. But that's, you know, to me, I keep... Lately, I've been thinking that like, football is just modern gladiators. Football and and, uh, and hockey is modern gladiators. They just don't kill each other or don't feed them to the lions. But it's basically the same thing. Everybody's in the arena, you know, looking down at them, going at each other. But we like that, don't we? Because that tweaks our interest. It makes us feel like to be a part of it. Our teams have to face the fact that they need to come out of this world too. And I know it's been said by some of the teens, and my children said it back in the 60s, said, well, there's nothing for us if we just stay with the church. But think about what's in front of you. You, if you're obeying God's law as teenagers, if you're obeying God's law, if you're listening to your parents, if you're learning God's way of life, you have an opportunity to be some of the first physical people in the world tomorrow and have a way of life that Satan is not there. Satan will not be a part of your life. He will be bound. You'll have peace and harmony that you can't even grasp. Pleasures that we don't even understand. Childbirth will not be a problem. There won't be a threat of women dying carrying a child. It won't happen. It won't be the pain and suffering that's all in it. You won't have to see your children being set upon by violent men or violent women. You know, they had a thing on uh, TV the other night how some of the men that are polygamous, abuse their, their daughters. That's not going to happen. God will not allow that. So you teenagers, think about that. Think of what's in front of you. Think of a, a time when you can have children, and probably a lot of them, and not only that, be pretty high in the government of God as you watch your children grow. That's going to happen. So it tells us to come out of Adam. But if we still want to take and get so close to Babylon, and we want to be in it, 
but we don't want to break away. And we've heard those sermons. We had that series on Babylon. We had the series on looking like God or in the image of God. We've had series on uh, health. You're not going to be sick. We'll have people dying. I've got a son-in-law who's dying with cancer, not 50 years old. Not even 50 years old has less than six months to live. That's not going to be in the world of tomorrow. You are not going to have to worry about heart attacks. So think about that, teenagers. Yes, we tell you to come out of Babylon, and as adults, every one of us that's an adult, has a responsibility to set the right example for the teens, we have that responsibility. Because they look to us, whether we think it or not, they see what we do. You know, Daryl said, we live in a fishbowl. Our teens see us. Our young children see us. The outside world sees us. We see each other. We have to set the right example. Or, one will be taken and one will be left. And that means teenagers too. You know, I hate to say it, but I've got a lot of teenagers and I've got a lot of little children in my family. When you have 20 grand, 21 grandchildren, one great grandchild, you think I don't think about that? How much I would desire my children and my grandchildren to be here? But I can't do that. I can't bring them here and save their life. We read that too, didn't we? If you seek to save your life, if you seek to save your children's life, they're going to lose it. It's making a difference. It has to be something that God does. So we're told to come out of Babylon. We had sermons on getting rid of idols. How many idols do you have? I mean, how many idols do we have? I mean, we could be an idol ourselves. I'm so great, you know. Uh, I never dreamed back in 1963, 64, 69 of ever having given a, give a sermon. I never dreamed back in then I would give sermonettes every every week for almost two years. I never it didn't cross my mind. So do I have then made that an idol? How good I am because I am able to do those things or I have got the opportunity to give a sermon now and then? Do I, I think how great I am? hope not. I hope I realize that I'm only here for one purpose. That's to bring the glory and honor to Christ and the Father. You know, to the Father through Christ. And that's what you're here for. To learn to bring glory, honor, and respect to God our Father and to Jesus Christ. So what idols do you have? Television, your car, your job, your family, yourself. There's a lot of different things. Go back and listen to that whole series. There's a series on it. Daryl spent weeks and weeks and probably months going over that. God gave to Daryl information. How well do we respond to it? Have we made an idol out of it? You know, you can sometimes make an idol out of a out of a minister, out of God, out of Daryl, or or Gordon, or Terry, or Bill, or me, or 
your husband or your wife or whatever, your job, you know, those all could be labels. So where do we stand? Why are you here? What brought you here? We should be here that we are here to look like Jesus Christ. And there's a way in doing that. We need to look like Christ. We had that series on it. In John 14, turn to John chapter 14. talking to the apostles. Thomas said unto the Lord, We know not where you go, or how can we know the way? So here, they're saying, you say you're going to go someplace, you're going to leave, but we know the way. And Thomas said, hey, I don't know the way. How should I know what way it is? I don't know that way. Jesus said to Thomas and the rest of the disciples, I am the way. Think of that. The way to eternal life. Christ said to the apostles, to his disciples that were there, to you and to me, he says, I am the way. He said, I am the truth and I am the life. No man can come to the Father but by me. There is no way for you and me to come to know how to do and how to respond and how to go to Christ, or the Father rather, unless Christ brings us to that point. He is that way. And whether I go, you know, and the way, you know. Oh, verse uh, 7. If you had known me, now, understand this. Think about this. Christ is saying to each one of us, if we know Jesus Christ, if we know him, you should have known my Father also. You have to learn to know who Christ is to know who the Father is. We want to go to the Father and we, we ask him for help. But do we really know the Father? And henceforth, you know him and have seen him. Oh, we've seen the Father. He told those people, you've seen the Father. Philip then said to Christ, Lord, show us the Father and it suffices us. That's all we need to know. You just show us the Father. Christ responds, have I been so long time with you, yet have you not known me, Philip? How long have you been in the church of God? Do you know the Father? Do you really know him? It depends on how well you know Christ, isn't it? it? And this book tells you who Christ is, so it has to tell you who the Father is. He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how say you then, show us the Father? Well, they were with Christ on a daily basis, weren't they? And he said, Philip says, show us the Father. But you've been there. You've seen the Father. Believe you not that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Think about that. The Father was in Christ in the day he walked this earth as a human being. And he says, believe you 
not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? He said, look, we're one and the same. The Father's in me. The words I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me. He does the works. How about that? If you are to know the Father, then what do you do? You have to have God dwelling in you, don't you? You have to have Christ. As Christ said, the Father dwells in me. It's a very important part to believe that. Believe you not that the Father uh, is in uh, He is in the Father. Christ is saying, do you believe that the Father is in me? For the Father dwells in me, and it is the Father that does the works. The Father. So we have to be at that same point. Chapter 5. John chapter 5. Verse 17. John chapter 5, verse 17. But Jesus answered them, my Father works, hitherto I work. So here Christ is saying, God the Father has a job. He has a work. And he says, I also am working. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had uh, broken the Sabbath, but said that God was his Father, making him equal with God. Is God your Father? Is God in you? That makes you equal with God, doesn't it? Not in position of authority. God the Father will always be the Father. It's like a, a family relationship. The dad is head of the wife. The wife is over the children. The children will never be over the mother or the father. They're, that's a relationship. And the, the husband and wife are a team. They work together. They are one. So... If we say we are have God in us, then we are saying we are equal with God if we have an opportunity to be part of the God family. People will try to kill you for that. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Truly, truly, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself. This is something to give it a lot of thought. Think of this. Christ said the Son can do nothing of himself. But what he sees the Father do, for what things soever he does, these also does the Son likewise. Christ is saying, whatever the Father does, or tells me or shows me, those things are what I do. Is that in your life? Can you say that whatever Christ tells me to do, I do. Whatever the Father tells me to do, that I do. Or... Are we still out here, like Mr. Armstrong said, eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Because that's the easiest thing to do, isn't it? God offered Adam and Eve eternal life. All they had to do was let him tell them. Just like Christ. He says, hey, I can't do this myself. Whatever the Father tells me, that I do. But we say, no. On the other hand, the world's so much nicer. Let's do it that way. I want to do it my way. I have to have my way. That's what we do so many times. The son can do nothing of himself, but 
what he sees the Father do, for what things soever he does, those also does the Son likewise. How could Christ say that? Because he was so close to the Father, he was always going and asking the Father, help me, show me which way to go. That's what one thing we need to do every day. Start the day, get up and say, show me the right way. Uh, maybe we can even say, help me turn my back to the tree of life. I mean, the tree. that's what we do when we say tree of life. And we should say, help us to turn from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Turn away from my own way. Help me see the way of life. For as the Father raised up the dead and quickened them, even so the Son quickens them, whomsoever he will. You can do that. If you are as close to Christ, or Christ and the Father, as Christ was to the Father. He could do a lot of those things because he did not try to do it on his own. He tried to do it by what God was telling him to do. For the Father judges no man but has committed all judgment unto the Son, that what that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honors not the Son honors not the Father which has sent him. Are you honoring Christ? Go back and listen to those sermons that were brought out. That first sermon really on the in the image of God was really really deep information on helping us to look like Christ. Go back and listen to that. It's very important. Do you honor Christ or do you honor yourself or other things? If you're not honoring Christ, what are you doing? You're honoring Satan, really, because you want to follow that same trend, the same trend that leads you in the wrong direction. Truly, truly, I say to you, he that hears my words and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not and shall not come unto condemnation, but is passed from death to life. If this is in your mind and in your heart, you will be one of those two standing out there and you'll be the one that goes and not the one that stays back. But you have to have God in you. John chapter 10, verse 28 through 30. John 10, 28 through 30. Christ and the Father look alike. Christ and the Father look alike. He said everything the Father showed me I do. He looks like God. He acts like God. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. God says, nobody will pluck them out of the Father's hands. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Are you and I, as a group, as an individual, one with Christ? Christ and the Father are the same. They are exactly the same. You want to know what Christ looks like? Read it in this book. You want to know what the Father looks like? Read what Christ looks like. 
by those things that he did. Christ shows in Matthew eleven twenty seven that it is the Father's will. All things, Matthew eleven twenty seven, all things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knows the Son but the Father, neither knows any man the Father save the Son, and he to whosoever the Son will reveal him. So you're not going to know the Father unless God reveals it to you. It is God's will. Remember Christ who inspired David to write the Psalms and Psalm 22 talks about how brutally his body would be beaten. And Christ said on that last night on the Passover, he said, I would that you'd take this cup from me. I, I don't want to go through this because he knew what was destined to happen. I mean, if you knew you were going to be out there tied to a stake, have a whip rip the flesh off your body till your bones showed, you knew you were going to be have to carry your torture stake, which that's one of the things that they had to do. Somebody was condemned had to carry that stake. You knew you were going to be nailed to it. You knew it's going to raise it up and it's going to drop in that hole and you're going to hit with a thud and rip those nail holes in your hands and your feet in excruciating pain, would you not say, I don't want to go down that line either. But if you know that the tribulation is coming, that they're going to beat, kill, think about as parents out here, think about you not going, your children not going, your your daughters or your sons, your daughters raped and your sons brutally beaten until they die, and you have to watch it, wouldn't you say, hey, I don't want to go through that, unless it was for a purpose of God. And Christ said, when he knew that, and he knew it was coming down the line, he said, Father, I would you take this from me, but not my will, but your will be done. So, how about our life? Do we sit out here and say, not my will, not my will. I'm out here not because of my will as a place to protect me and leave my family back there and leave 21 grandchildren and one grand great-grandchild and leave eight children and eight sons and daughter-in-laws and, eight, and, and many other people and friends and family that you've known in the past. You don't come out here and say, I don't want to do that, but not my will, but your will. So when I came out here, I would say, it's not my will, because, hey, I've never got this cold in Florida. <laughs> I've never had to fight snow and cold and rain and, and uh, massive windstorms of dust and uh, sandstorms in Florida. But it's not my will. I'm here for the will of Christ. And if anything good can come out of that, it is to the glory and honor of God. That's the approach that we have to take. Not my will, but the Father's will. John, 30, uh, John 5, verse 30 says, I, Christ speaking, I of my own self do nothing. I have gotten to that point where I do that in the morning. I say, Father... 
If they do it, anything today that's not you, it's wrong. Because my mind goes in the wrong direction just as anybody else's mind. I like Babylon just like everybody else likes Babylon. So you have to fight. Like Paul said, there's a way that I know is right. But I like the other way. Those are the things I don't do. And things that I don't want to do, that just seems to be so natural, doesn't it? It seems so natural to do the things you don't want to do. And you have to fight it. So Christ says, I have been... John 5.30, I of my own self can do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I see not my own will. Think of that. Not my own will, but the will of the Father which sent me. So Christ says, it's not my will, not my way, it's the Father's way. So I don't like things that go on either, no more than anybody else does. But it don't make any difference. It's not my will. Coming here is the will of the Father. Changing, repenting, giving up Babylon is the Father's will. Looking like Jesus Christ is the Father's will. Relying on God for everything is the Father's will. Again, in John 6, verse 38, states, not to do my own will, Christ saying, I didn't come here to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. That's why we're here. That's why we're part of the church of God. When he called you, whatever year it was, wherever you were, whether you were in some different religious group, or whether you didn't even go to church or even believe in a God. It wasn't because of you, it's you're brought here not to do your own will, but to do the will of God. So you're brought here to do God's will. It's important to understand that in your life. It is not yours anymore. It is the Father's. You must do the Father's will. So it's important to us to understand that, that we must, as an individual, seek out, strive, to do what's right in God's sight, the Father's sight, and by following what Christ tells us, following what's here. And so if you hear a sermon or a sermonette, you say, well, that don't really make me happy. It's because these people have been inspired. And I'll tell you what, I truly believe God inspires sermonettes and sermons. He inspires us to talk together. We've heard that. A book of remembrance, remember, is being written for those that spend time talking about God's way of life. Malachi, you read that earlier? If you're spending your time, whether you're a teenager or a young adult, whether you have little children, or you're a grandfather or a great-grandfather, it's still doing learning how to do the will of the Father. You know, we're to learn, and we've learned that, that we are to begin to look like Jesus Christ and the Father. John 17. This is a prayer that Christ, the last prayer of his disciples, just prior to him being tortured, being beaten, him saying, hey, I don't want to do this, but it's not my will. John 17, 
verse 21, 17-21. They all may be one. Here Christ is saying, praying the Father. Neither I pray uh, for these alone, in verse 20, but for them also which shall believe on me through their works. So here he's praying that all those human beings living here 2,000 years afterwards, down the line, where Christ's saying uh, 2,000 years ago, we had that I pray for you. He's saying, I'm praying for these people today, in this day and time, for you and for me. He said, I pray for them because we believe on what they're going to tell us. Who? The disciples? Those like Paul and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Moses, you know, and Abraham and everybody, that they may be one. You can be one, that they may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. When we become one with the Father and with Christ, then the world can believe because we've turned our life around and we have strived to do those things, then the world can believe that God sent Christ to this world to bring the knowledge and finally bring in a peaceful society. And the glory which you gave me, I give them that they may be one even as we are one. So he wants us to be one. And we've talked about that many times before too. Acts chapter what, 2 says they were all gathered together in one place in the same mind, the same understanding. They were one. And that's what he's saying right here, that they may be one as Christ and the Father are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved me them as you have loved me. Christ says in his prayer that the world can understand that God the Father loves you. He loves each one of us. Father, I will that they also whom you have given me be uh, with me where I am, that they may beho- behold my glory which you have given me, for you, be- you loved me before the foundation of the world. Christ was sent here. He had a tremendous power, beauty, understanding, wisdom, and love. Gave that up, didn't he? Became a sperm cell. Became a human being, a little baby grew up to an adult, walked for three and a half years telling people to change. He gave them three and a half years. Noah was given 120 years. We don't know how many years we've had. That we can be one with God, one with Christ. First Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Now, 
we have received not the spirit of the of the world. You have not received the spirit of Satan, have you, or the spirit of this world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. We've been given a different spirit, haven't we? A totally different spirit. Philippians 4, verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Is that the approach that you, that I, that all of us, that this little group takes? Do we come to the point to say, I can do everything that's necessary to be one of those that's taken to a place of safety through Christ? It has to be through Christ. John 14, John chapter 14, it has to be through Christ. Paul knew that, he understood that sin. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. I can do anything, you can do anything through Jesus Christ. Spiritually speaking, you can be one of the ones that goes to a place of safety. But it has to be through Christ, remember. It has to be through Christ. John 14, verse 16. 14, 16. We'll start at 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Christ speaking to you. I don't care what age group you're in, what background, what education level, or not. Christ says, tells us, if you keep his commandments, you will love him. And I will pray the Father, Christ telling the disciples, talking to you right now. He's telling you right now, he says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he, that he may abide in you forever. Christ was there with those disciples. He comforted them. He helped them. He encouraged them. He showed them the right way. He said, I'm going to die, and I'm going to send you another comforter to be with you. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it sees it not, neither knows him, but you know him, for he dwells in you and shall be in you. That spirit is going to dwell in you. It's going to be a part of your way of life. That spirit is going to dwell in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world sees me no more. But you shall see me, because I live, you shall, you also, you shall live also. So here he's telling us that he's never going to leave us without some kind of comfort, without some kind of help, helping us to walk the daily path. Helping us to do the things that's right. Not the things of the world, not the pleasures, you know, we have the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the tree that leads to death. Oh, it looks great because it's a glorious world, but Christ said, I will never leave you. I will give you the things that you need. 
I will be there with you and help you and guide you. At that day you shall know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. So he says when you get that comfort, you know that I am in the Father and you in me and I'm in you. He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me and he that loves me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. So Christ is going to come. Verse 23. Jesus answered and said, If any man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. If we really love God, if we really want to do what's right, if we keep his laws, and sometimes they just seem so difficult, don't they? It just seems kind of hard to walk that way of life. It seems hard to give up your family. It seems hard to give up those sweet tooths that we have. It seems hard to give up television. It seems hard to give up uh, the clothing and the... Uh, makeup, and all these things. It seems hard to do that. But he said, if you love me, he will keep my words. This right here. You keep my words, and my Father will love him, and will come to him, and make our abode with him. He's going to live with us, and live in us. He that loves me not, keeps not my sayings. So we hear God's word week after week after week after week, and sometimes we just don't want to do that, do we? We want to not keep those things. So we don't want to keep his things. And the words which you hear are not mine, Christ said. These are not my words, but the Father which sent me. So we have these words here. They're not a human's words. They're God's words. And these things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said to you. I'm going to send another Spirit, another Comforter. I'm leaving. I'm going to send a Comforter. The Father's going to send a Comforter to you. He's going to bring all these understandings back to you that I've taught you. And so they wrote these things down because the Comforter came to them. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither be afraid. You have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said, I go to the Father for the Father is greater than I. So we need to really rejoice in that fact. That Christ made a promise that he would take care of us. What is that spirit? What is that spirit? I want you to think about this thing. Because it's something to think about. What is that spirit, that, that comforter? What is that comforter? 
John 14, verse 18 says, I will never leave, I will uh, not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Christ promised them, and he promises you, that he is going to come to you. Hebrews 13, 5 says, you need to write it down, let your hearts be, uh, uh, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, Christ has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Didn't we just read that? He said, I, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to ever leave you. Christ made us a promise not to leave us. Has he broken that promise? Can you say in your heart, Christ broke that promise? He's not with me. Hopefully he is. Hopefully God or Christ is with you. Isaiah 41, verse 10. Isaiah 41, 10. Fear you not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, yes, I will help you, yes. I will uphold you with the, with the right hand of my righteousness. Christ, speaking to the Israelites back at that time, speaking to all of us, says, I am not going to leave you. I'm going to hold you up. But remember, it is those that keep his commandments, those that hear his words and say, yes, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Colossians 1, verse 27. Colossians 1, 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is what? Christ in you. Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory. Is Christ in you? Ask yourself. I sat there this morning and said, Man, is Christ in me? Romans chapter 10. Uh, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. Verse 7. Romans 8, verse 7. Because the carnal mind is in me against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Where is your mind? Are you carnally minded? If, it, if you are, if the things of this world mean more to you than making a change, then you're carnally minded. I've been down the line, made a lot of mistakes in my life. In child training, made a lot of mistakes. I wish I had... This knowledge, 30-some years ago, raising my children, not letting my children do things that they shouldn't do, maybe God allows us to have that understanding. And maybe if we try to show how to do it right, I've been there, done it. A lot of other people have been there and done that too. Being carnally minded. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. As long as you're fleshly minded and in the flesh and doing fleshly things, you're never going to please God. Christ will not be dwelling in you, will he? 
But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be the Spirit of God dwells in you. The Spirit of God has to be dwelling in you. That's what he's saying. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is not Christ. What spirit is in you? What is that spirit, that comfort that's in you? And if Christ be not in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit which dwells in you. The spirit of Christ dwelling in you and the spirit of the Father dwelling in you. So you can blaspheme a human, but can you blaspheme the Spirit? Because if that's the case, then you're blaspheming Christ, the Spirit of Christ, and the Spirit of the Father. Think about that. Give it a lot of thought, because too many times we just don't take the right approach in our life. John chapter 6, verse 56 says, you can just write it down, He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me and I in him. Christ says when we take the Passover, and you're coming up on the Passover not very many weeks down the line now, when you eat that bread and drink that little cup of wine, you're eating Christ, and Christ says, I will dwell in you. How does he do that? Through his Spirit, doesn't it? It is the Spirit of Christ dwelling in you. Second Corinthians 13, verse 5. 13, verse 5 says, Examine yourself, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be a reprobate. Christ in you? Is he in you? Is that the spirit that dwells in you? You need to ask that question. Galatians 2, verse 20. Galatians 2, verse 20. Paul, speaking to the people, says, I am crucified with Christ. Sometimes I have to ask myself, Am I really crucified with Christ, or am I still drinking in of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Is it easier to walk the path, because Christ, remember he said, that way that leads to total destruction is easy to go down. You can trip and stumble and run and jump, and, and, and you can go down that way. But the way to eternal life is pretty narrow. It's a pretty strict, narrow path. It has to be eating of Christ and drinking of Christ. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, 
I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our thoughts. That should be us speaking, not Paul, but that should be me. I should say, Nelson, this should be your thoughts. What I live has to be living Christ in me. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16. 2 Corinthians 6, 16. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Oh, you mean if I don't follow God's way of life, then what? Do I have an agreement with idolatry? The world is full of idolatry. You are the temple of the living God. You, as an individual, are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. What spirit is in you? What is that spirit? Amos 3 Verse 3 says, can two walk together except they agree? Can you have Christ living in you unless you agree with what he tells you? No, you can't. You're just fooling yourself if you do not agree with what Christ inspires us to do. You can't. It's not, there's just no way. Two cannot walk together unless they agree. Because you'll fight. I've been down that line again. Been there, done that too. Made mistakes in the wrong way. Can't walk the same path with an infidel. It doesn't work. Ephesians three seventeen. That Christ dwell in you, dwell in your hearts. So here in Ephesians, Paul says Christ has to dwell in your hearts by faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love. What spirit dwells in you? That's the question. What is that spirit dwelling in you? What is that comforter that Christ sent to us? John 17 verse 26 says, And I have declared unto them your name, and I will declare it, that the love wherewith you have loved me uh, may be in them and I in them. We read that earlier. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ has to be there. First John 4, 4. First John 4, 4. I'm just coming through a, some points to show the scriptures. It's all over the scriptures. That it has to be Jesus Christ dwelling in you. It must be Christ that is what guides us and directs us. Because either you have the spirit of Christ, or you're going to have the spirit of Satan. The spirit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's there. God put it in the Garden of Eden. It was there. Do you turn your back on the knowledge of good and evil? Do you go to Christ, to the Father, and say, teach me. I can do nothing of myself right. It was, has to be you doing it. First John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. 
God the Father is far greater than Satan. Even though Satan thought he could go and take over the throne of God, didn't do it, did he? Never learned his lesson because he's going to try it again. Satan has this tactic. He does the same thing over and over and over and over and over throughout history. Thinking he'd come up with a different uh, set of circumstances, but it's always the same. That's what my wife says. That's insanity. When you think you could do the same thing over and over and over and over again and get some different result, it's insanity. Because you never change. Satan's never changed. You can. You can ask God to dwell in you, ask Christ to dwell in you, and Christ will give you that comfort to dwell in you. John, first John, you're already in four, I wasn't. First John four, verse thirteen. First John four thirteen. Hereby know we that we dwell in Christ, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. You can know that you dwell in God. You can know you're going in the right direction because you have God's Spirit or the Spirit of Jesus Christ dwelling in you. And we have not seen and do testify, and we have seen rather, and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever therefore confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him. If you confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, God's going to dwell in you. And He in God. And we have known and believed the love of God has uh, to us, the love that God has to us. God is love, and He that dwells in love dwells in God, and God in Him. Again, do you love? Do you really have love? If you do, then you're dwelling in God. But if you look down and condemn other people, you're hurting. And, you know, I make those mistakes too. And somebody tells me, he talks behind my back. I really don't mean to. It's human. You've done it too. You have to admit that. We all have done that. We all put somebody down. And don't, we don't understand that it's only God who puts people in position. It's only God who calls us. All that we put people down with is just air coming out of our mouth because we can't do anything about it anyway, can we? If we learn to love people, then we don't have a problem with that. If we love each other, we're not going to have a problem with finding fault with somebody else. You just can't find fault with somebody else. First Corinthians chapter six. Verse thirteen. Chapter six, verse thirteen. Meat for the belly, and belly for meat. But God shall destroy both of them, both it and them. God says He's going to destroy all the physical stuff. I mean, all these physical things we think we've got to be great and we're, we're so great and so we put somebody down. God's going to be, that doesn't mean anything to God. Now, the body is not for fornication, 
but for the Lord. Your body is for Christ, and the Lord for the body. And God has both raised up the Lord, and will also raise up us by his own power. So why should we put somebody else down? It is God that's going to build them up. Know you not that your bodies are the are members of Christ? You as an individual are part of Christ. And shall, uh, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? Absolutely not. But we do that, don't we? We do that too often. What? Know you not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two shall, he said, shall be one flesh. If we put somebody else down, we need to get to think to the point that they're going to marry Christ. That means they're with Christ. They are the same. So if you put somebody else down, and, and something I've got to work on, I know. If I put somebody else down, if you put somebody else down, basically, you're putting Christ down. Because Christ, the Spirit of Christ, dwells in those people. So we have a lot to think about, a lot of changes to make in our life. Verse 17 says, But he that is joined unto the Lord is one Spirit. So if we're joined with Christ, and we put somebody else that puts us down. They're, they're, they're looking down on Christ. You look down on Christ. We can't do those things. We've got to make a change in our life. We need to. Let's go to. Uh, well, I, I think I pretty well tried to cover the point to show that basically what I was wanting to do is show that. We have to dwell with Christ. Christ has to dwell in us. Christ said, I leave you, I'm going to give you another comforter. We, you can see through Scripture, there's a lot more out there. I think that each one of us needs to spend the time and go through that, analyze it. See if it is that comforter is Jesus Christ. Is it Christ? I'm asking the question. asking you to check it. asking you to go through it and research Today, tomorrow, the next day, analyze it. Is the Comforter Jesus Christ? Is that Spirit that's dwelling in you Jesus Christ? If it if it's not, then what Spirit is it? Where do you live? What what is your way of life? What's your thoughts and actions? In Revelation three verse twenty, Christ speaking to the to all the churches, but speaking to the Laodiceans, but to all the churches, because it says throughout there, what he says to one church, says, listen, as a church group, listen, and I'm sure today that all seven churches are around, and I think, personally feel, that we all have become Laodicean. I don't care what group we're in, or what our actions or thoughts are, we're all Laodicean, but Christ says, I stand at the door and knock. His spirit is knocking on your spiritual door, your head, your body. It says, I stand at the door and knock. I send you this book of all these words. It's everything in this book that you need 
to be a part of the family of God, to be one that is taken to a place of safety, wherever it might be, whether it's here or somewhere else, in this country or some other country, it doesn't make any difference. You want to go wherever Christ goes. So Christ says, I stand at that door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, the door of your heart, the door of your mind, the door of your way of life, if you will open that, not shut that door. It's too easy to shut that door because somebody hurt my feelings. Somebody told me I can't do this. Somebody told me I must do that. And so we sometimes shut the door. And what we do is we shut Christ out. We say, I'm knocking at the door. If you'll open to me, if you'll hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you. Do you want the Spirit of Christ in you? He's knocking. He's going to come in if you invite him in. And you can do it, you, you young people, you teenagers, you can do it too. You can say, hey, I want to do it God's way. Or, you can go someplace else. <laughs> so I'm knocking, I want to come in. And I will eat with you, sup with you, dine with you, I will walk with you, I will talk with you, I will play with you, I will, I will entertain with you, whatever it is, if we invite him in, if we keep his commandments, if we reject the tree of the knowledge of the evil, what spirit is in you? It's easy to condemn, it's easy to hear something, isn't it? See, you hear somebody say something, forget what they said, or hear part of it, and judge them and answer a matter before you hear all what's said. But if you're open to Christ and His way and say, okay, I'm opened up, come in, Christ will come to you. What spirit is in you?